Welcome to the Faith Life Fellowship Podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. In today's message, Dr. Forrest presents part four of his teaching, Healing is Yours. Praise the Lord this morning. We're going to talk about healing in the Great Commission. And it'll be part four of our series, Healing is Yours. So let's get right into it by reading one of the passages in the New Testament that talks about the Great Commission. That is Mark 16, verse 15 through 20. What we're going to do here this morning, just to let you know, we're going to start with Mark 16, 15 through 20 which is Mark's account of the Great Commission delivered by Jesus to his followers. And then we're going to wrap it up with Matthew's account at the very end, Matthew 28. And in between, there's going to be a whole lot of corroborating scriptures that show us that we, whether we are called to quote-unquote full-time ministry or not, we as the people of God, spirit-filled men, women of God, we are called to preach the gospel into our world, into our circle of influence, and we are called to expect signs, wonders, and miracles to follow us as we do so. Amen? It's not just the preachers. I got a couple of testimonies that I'm going to use to demonstrate that point, a couple personal testimonies that happened to me before I was in full-time ministry, way back when I was still flying for the Marines. Amen. Hallelujah. So let's begin with Mark 16, 15 through 20 in the King James Version. I tell you, I just can't find a version that says it better, so I'm sticking with King James on some of these verses today. So some of you that are not fans of the King James, I'm asking for your forgiveness ahead of time. Amen. Mark 16, 15 through 20 says, This is Jesus speaking to his followers And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world, and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, and he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. I just love my Jesus. I love the way he came out with the two most controversial things right off the bat. We're talking about casting out devils and talking in tongues. Amen. Hallelujah. They shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Let me say that again. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. Listen to this. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Amen. How was the Lord working with them if he was already up in heaven? Well, by the Holy Spirit indwelling the men and women of God. Amen. Notice also that this was the last instructions that he gave to his believers before he went to heaven and sat on the right hand of the Father God. Why is that? Because he knew there was coming a time when the spirit that was in him would be in us and we would carry on his ministry while he's in heaven. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So most Christians have heard of the Great Commission, but many leave out the power that is inherent in the gospel. Let me read you 
what Paul said in Romans 1.16, King James. Paul said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Allow me to break this down for just a minute here. For I am not ashamed of the gospel or the good news of Christ, the anointed one. For it is the power of God. That word their power is the Greek word dunamos. It means explosive power. I'm not ashamed of the good news of Christ, for it is the explosive power of God unto salvation. Amen. Salvation is the Greek word soterio. It means saved, healed, delivered, made whole. Amen. For I am not ashamed of the good news of Christ, the anointed one, for it is the power or the explosive power of God unto salvation, healing, deliverance, and wholeness to the Jew first and then also to the Greek. Amen. So what I want you to see here, he says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God. For just a minute, I want you to concentrate on that. He doesn't say that power is an attribute of the gospel. He doesn't say that power is a characteristic of the gospel. He says the gospel is power and power is the gospel. Just speaking the gospel, power is released. Amen. Romans 15, 19. Paul goes on to talk about his ministry and he says through Mighty signs and wonders by the power, same word, dunamos, of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about unto Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Notice it takes signs, wonders, and miracles to fully preach the gospel of Christ. To fully comply with the Great Commission, we have to preach the full gospel. Ever wonder what that term means, full gospel? We don't leave anything out. We don't leave the signs, wonders, and miracles out. They are are a part of, an integral part of preaching the gospel. For the gospel is power. Amen. Now why is that? Why is it important that we have signs, wonders, miracles, and power follow us when we preach the gospel? Well, it's because people sometimes have to be convinced that you're sent from God and that you represent Jesus, the son of the living God. And one of the ways that he puts his stamp of approval upon you as you go out to the people is by releasing his power through you so they know you are sent by him. So they know the words you speak are true words coming from God himself through the servant of God. Do you see that? When Jesus ministered on the earth, healing was a big part of his ministry. Signs, wonders, miracles followed him everywhere he went. Isn't that true? And he intended for the same to be true of his followers once he returned to the Father and once he sent us the Spirit to dwell on the inside of us. Amen. John 14, 12 through 14, New King James. This is a mind blower to most people. Some people read over this. And they think it's talking about prayer. But I'm letting you know ahead of time. It's talking about doing the works of God in the name of Jesus. John 14, 12 through 14. Says most assuredly. 
King James says, verily, verily. Other translations say, truly, truly. In other words, the Holy Spirit wants you to know, this is a fact, Jack. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. Let's stop right there. Jesus raised three people from the dead, healed numerous lepers, made the maimed whole, the blind to see, the deaf to hear, and the dumb to speak, the crippled to walk. And he said we would do the same works and even greater works than he did. I don't know about you, but I stumble at that sometimes just thinking about it. But I receive it by faith, and I've seen it happen in my life. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. This is not talking about prayer. The subject is the works of God done in the name of Jesus, representing Him. Amen? Let me show you the contrast. If you go to John chapter 16, verse 23 and 24, Jesus is talking about prayer. And I want you to notice the difference. Jesus says in John 16, 23 to 24, And in that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, there it is again, Verily, verily, truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, He will give it you. This is talking about prayer to the Father in Jesus' name. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. As I said already, notice in John 14, Jesus is talking about doing the works of God in Jesus' name. But in John 16, he's referring to prayer to the Father in Jesus' name. Don't get the two mixed up. He's called you to do the greater works, greater even than what he did. Amen. It's hard to digest, but Jesus is the one who said it. He even said, verily, verily, truly, truly, most assuredly, you're going to do greater works than I did. I know a man, and this is, this is 25 years old. I knew a man. I met at a minister's conference. His name was Brother James. He ministers in India. He's an overseer of thousands of churches in India. Raised 25 people from the dead personally. And that was back in 1996. No, no telling how many he's raised since then. Jesus only raised three. You think it bothers Jesus that somebody outdid him in that department? No, he was the one who said, you're going to do greater things than I did. I'm the prototype. You're the follow-on production model. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. So, Jesus makes it clear in John 14 that when you perform the works of God in his name, it is just as if he were there personally laying hands on that person. That's what he's saying. If you can never get that revelation down in your heart, you will never again say, what if nothing happens? If I lay hands on this sick person, listen, the onus is not on you to make anything happen. You do the obedient part. You lay hands on the sick and let him take care of them. They shall recover. Amen. You know, when I approach the sick, when I minister to the sick, I usually start off by laying hands on them by faith, believing just by faith, 
according to that scripture, they shall recover. And then if a gift of the Spirit manifests or the anointing manifests, so much the better, which has happened to me many times. But I had to take that first step by being willing to pray for somebody just by faith and just expect my faith to do the job. And if you'll do that, the Holy Spirit will come in to help you inevitably. Amen. Hallelujah. And Jesus will make do on his promise. He'll be there backing you. In other words, don't be afraid to lay hands on the sick, even the hard cases, because I got your back. This is fun to preach. Amen. Now let's shift directions just a little bit. And I want to talk about something that was very enigmatic that Jesus said to his believers. They couldn't quite understand what he meant. And I'm going to use it to illustrate a point. John 16, verse 7 in the King James. Jesus speaking to his followers, his closest followers. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Let's read it in the New King James Version. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Amen. What's going on here? Jesus told his followers that it was expedient or to their advantage that he leave them so that the comforter or the helper would come. And I'm sure that they had no idea what he meant by that. They had just spent three and a half years at the side of Jesus watching him do miracle after miracle after miracle. And he said, it's better that I leave you. And they're going, what? Why? Why? We need you. What do you mean? Who's going to do all these miracles? We need you. We need you now. He said, no, no, it's to your advantage that I leave because if I leave, I'm going to give you the same source of power that I had when I was on the earth. Amen. I'm going to give you a helper. I'm going to give you a comforter. Amen. You know, previously, you don't have to turn there, but in John 14, 17, Jesus said that the comforter, the Holy Spirit, was dwelling with them, but it would soon be in them. What he meant was the Holy Spirit in Jesus was dwelling with them, but soon he would leave and he would send the same spirit to dwell on the inside of them. And then they would have the power to do what John 14, 12 through 14 says, to do the greater works than he did. Amen. But it took a while for them to get this revelation. So to get a better understanding of what Jesus meant when he was telling them that they were going to be empowered as men to do miracles just like he did, you, you got to get a realization about uh, the fact that Jesus came to the earth as a man. He came as a man. Although Jesus was 100% God, he was also 100% man. He wasn't half-half. He wasn't some half-breed. He was 100% God and 100% man. Number one, he came as a man so he could relate to us as a man and be the perfect sacrifice for all of mankind. He had to be a man. 
What's the number one reason he had to be a man to be the perfect sacrifice? He had to die, and God couldn't die. He had to become a man so he could die. It's the only way he could die. Does everybody see that? Number two, he also came to show us by example the impact that one man could have if he were filled with the Spirit of God and totally committed to the will and purposes of God on the earth. He was, in fact, as I said before, our prototype that we would follow. Amen. He came to earth as a servant in the form of a man and voluntarily set aside the majesty and the glory that were rightly his, that were rightly his as the word of God. Let me show you that in the scripture, John 1, 1. And then we'll skip down to John 1, 14. John 1, 1 said, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And then down in verse 14, it says, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. Amen. So this word that existed eternally with God became flesh and dwelt in our midst as a man. And when he did, there's other places that show this, he voluntarily set aside his divine glory and majesty so he could become a man, so that he could die. And let me show you Philippians 2, 5 through 8 says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. In other words, it was no big deal. He knew he was equal with God. It was no big deal. But nevertheless, he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Amen. So he set aside the divine glory and majesty that was rightly his. And he came to earth as a humble man. And I'll show you the proof of that here in John 17, 4 and 5. This is in the upper room right before Jesus went to Gethsemane. He's praying for himself and for his followers, even his future followers. And he says to the Lord, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. Listen to this. And now, O Father... Glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. In other words, he's saying, I took that glory off, but I'm ready, Father God, to put it back on. It's something we had together throughout all eternity. And I'm looking forward to coming back and receiving my glory again. But he set it aside for his mission on planet Earth. Amen. Remember, Jesus did not perform a single miracle until he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Again, that's because he voluntarily limited himself by becoming a natural human being. So he had to wait on the moving of God's Spirit just like any other Spirit-filled man. Only he did it better than anybody else. Amen. Hallelujah. Acts 10, 38. Acts 10, 38. 
says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. The thing I want you to see in this scripture is how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. Anytime you see Jesus of Nazareth, it is emphasizing his humanity. If you see Jesus the Christ or Christ Jesus, it's emphasizing his divinity. Amen. But here it's clear that a man, Jesus of Nazareth, was anointed by God for the mission that God had given unto him. And he went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. Everybody see that? Jesus was a spirit-filled man. John 3, 34 says, For he whom God hath sent speaks the words of God, for God gives not the Spirit by measure unto him. Now, he was a Spirit-filled man, but evidently he had all of the Spirit that could be crammed into a single human being. Amen. He had the Spirit without measure. But even though he had the Spirit without measure, Jesus was still limited to a physical human body. He also had another limitation. He had to contend with and put up with the unbelief of all those all around him. There was nothing he could do about it. It'll tie the hands of even the Son of God himself. So if unbelief hindered the ministry of Jesus, don't be surprised if unbelief hinders your ministry to your fellow man. Case in point, Mark 6, 5 and 6. You've all heard this before. Jesus was preaching in his hometown, and they just knew him as the son of the carpenter. We know your brothers. We know your sisters. We know all about you. We watched you grow up. How could you be anything? And it says there in verse 5, Mark 6, 5, Now he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. He was limited by the unbelief. Of his fellow Nazarenes. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Then he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. First thing I want you to see there is. I for one do not want God marveling over me about unbelief. I want him to marvel over me like he marveled over the Roman centurion. Greater faith have I never seen in the nation of Israel. That's what I'm after. And he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. So that tells me that the remedy, the antidote to unbelief is good, solid, biblical teaching. Amen? All right. So Jesus was a spirit-filled man. That's the main point so far. Second point, Jesus needs our help. And we're going to finish up with this. Jesus needs our help. Yes, you know, this is a concept that's kind of difficult to grasp. Well, he's God. He's Jesus. Why does he need our help? Well, you got to remember that he placed the earth under the dominion of man. And he will not violate his word. Everything that God will accomplish in the earth will have to be accomplished through men and women of God who are spirit-filled and committed to doing his will and carrying out his plan for the earth. We have to be in agreement with God, right? We have to say what he says. We have to think what he says. We have to do what we see him doing. Amen. We got to be in agreement with him so that his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Isn't that right? Amen. So he does need our help. We can't just sit by and expect God to take care of everything. We have a part to play. Amen. 
All right, let me show you that in the scripture. Matthew 9, 36 through 38, amen. Jesus says this, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like a sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Where were they going to get these laborers? From the angels? No. From us, from the people of the earth. He had to get the laborers into the harvest from the men and women of God that were on the earth. Amen. Matthew 10 verse 1. Says, and when he had called his twelve disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. I love it how that he prays a prayer in Matthew 9 that the labors be sent, and then he's a part of the answer to his own prayer, and he grabs his twelve disciples and says, I'm sending you out two by two. And I'm giving you power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of sickness and every kind of disease that you will encounter. Amen. And skip down to verse 5. These twelve Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Listen to this. This is what he told them to do. Heal the sick. Cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Amen. Didn't Jesus tell them, I've called you to do greater works than I did? He's already telling them to raise the dead. Cleanse lepers, heal the sick, cast out devils. Amen. John 10, 1 and 2. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also. He needed more help. And sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. Then he said to them, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Skip on down to verse 9. And this is what he tells the 70. Two by two, they're going to reach 35 cities where he's going to visit later. And he said to them, and heal the sick there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Notice that in each case, he told his followers to do exactly what he was doing. And Matthew 9, 35 says his cycle, his routine was to preach and teach and heal everywhere he went. So he told his disciples Two by two, the 12 at first, and then the 70 do the same thing I did. You preach the word, you teach the word, and you heal the masses. Praise the Lord. I sound like a real preacher this morning, don't I? Praise God. Hallelujah. And heal the sick there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Jesus went about all the cities and villages preaching and teaching and healing. Matthew 9, 35, he wanted them to repeat his pattern. Now, listen, we've got the benefit of 2,000 years of hindsight to know exactly what Jesus meant when he told his believers they would be better off when he left. But let me take you through some things. When he chose to become a man, he accepted the limitations of a natural human body. Listen to this. 
That meant he could only be in one place at one time, and he could only minister to a set number of people at any given time. In order for his ministry to go all over the world, Jesus had to leave and send the Holy Ghost to empower his followers. In this way, through his followers, which he knew would grow in numbers, his ministry would be recreated all over the world through spirit-filled men women, and yes, children. That's why he was so adamant when he told his followers they should wait in Jerusalem until they were endued with power from on high. Luke 24, 49. He said, don't leave home without it. Without what? The power of God. Don't you dare go preaching the gospel without the power. Wait until you get the power and then go. Only then could they go into the world and minister the gospel with the power that he intended and the results that he intended. Amen. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Amen. Amen. If there was any doubt that the Great Commission of Mark 16 was meant to apply throughout the whole church age with accompanying signs, wonders, and miracles, let's wrap it up by looking at what Matthew said about the very same Great Commission. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now listen to this. This is key. Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Over there in those other scriptures that we just read, what did Jesus command the 12 and the 70 to do? Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely you have received, freely give. Amen. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. These signs shall follow you. Cast out devils. Speak with new tongues. Lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. That's what he taught them to do. And he told them through Matthew, teach them to do the same thing I taught you to do. And that is heal the sick. Wherever you preach the gospel, let signs, wonders, miracles, and the power of God follow you, confirming the word that you preach. Amen. In conclusion, not all of us are called to be worldwide evangelists. But we can support worldwide evangelism. Isn't that right? But what you can do is you can take the gospel of Jesus Christ, the full gospel, the gospel of power, into your world, into your circle of influence right now, today, starting today at lunch. You can speak a word of comfort to your your waiter, your uh, Waitress, amen. You can say to them, you know, God loves you and he's got a great plan for your life. You'd be surprised how that one statement could throw people off. And they go, whoa, whoa, I needed to hear that. Amen. You take the gospel into your circle of influence and expect signs, wonders, and miracles to follow you wherever you go. God's no respecter of persons. Amen. I was only going to share, I was going to share two, but in... For the sake of time, you know what? No, I'm going to go ahead and share these, all right? This is like the dessert. I just gave you more scripture than you probably had in a week. 
But uh, I'm going to cap it off with dessert. I'm going to share about the first time that I ever saw a body part restored by the power of God. And to me, that was akin to the type of miracles that I read about in my Bible. And the first time I ever encountered it. I was a flight instructor at NAS Corpus Christi a long time ago. Trisha and I were down there. We lived in base housing. And uh, we were going to an Assembly of God church there in downtown Corpus Christi. They knew I had a teaching gift, so they gave me a six-week class on the gifts of the Spirit, which was taught immediately before the Sunday service. And I had about 15, 20 people in the class, very similar setup as we have here this morning as far as the way the chairs are arranged and everything. And I preached on the power gifts, gifts of healing, miracles, things like that. And after I preached, I said, you know, I just feel like the Lord wants to, to demonstrate. He wants to confirm that the word that I just gave you about powerful miracles and healing uh, is true word of God. So who here needs a touch from the Lord? Only one guy raised his hand and he walked forward. I know his name now because we became great friends after this great miracle. His name was Andy Edlin. And he came forward and he, and he turned his right shoulder blade to me. And so I could see that his right shoulder blade was essentially missing. And his left shoulder plate was full and developed. And, uh, and I said, what happened? He said, I have a, uh, a bone disease. That's a deteriorating bone disease. And most of my right shoulder blade is gone. I'm scheduled for orthopedic surgery on Thursday. They're going to try and do what they can to give me some limited motion of my right shoulder. So I just said, well, listen, we're going to pray. We're going to release the power. And for the first time ever in my life, I did not pray like I said I was going to. I felt compelled to just say some things over him. So I took my left hand. I put it in the hole in his back, which was kind of awkward because it drew attention to his deformity. And I put my right hand on his chest. And I began to say, grow, bones. Grow in the name of Jesus. Shoulder blade, be formed. Muscles, bone, tissues, tendons, ligament, reform, regrow in Jesus' name. And when I said that, I heard some popping and grinding. And it was loud enough that most of the people could hear it as well. And then all of a sudden, this warm feeling, I felt uh, the hole in his back begin to fill itself in and grow. And I, and I felt bone that wasn't there before. In a matter of 15, 20 seconds, God grew him a brand new shoulder blade. Amen. His eyes got as wide as saucers. My eyes got as wide as saucers. He started crying. I started crying. Never seen anything like it. And God grew him a brand new shoulder blade. He went in for his pre-op x-rays on Wednesday. And they said, Andy, we don't, we don't know what's going on here. This is your x-ray from last week. And this is your x-ray from this week. And you've got a brand new shoulder blade. This is a bona fide miracle of God. Amen, amen, amen. Now listen, the reason I shared that story with you is I was not in full-time ministry. I was in the military. I was a captain in the U.S. Marine Corps. And I was flying the T-34C Turbo Mentor as an instructor to young men that are trying to learn uh, marine aviation, actual naval aviation. Amen. 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 So you don't have to be in quote unquote full time ministry to see those kind of things happen in your life. You just have to be willing to pray for the hard cases. Again, I say first pray by faith and then let the Holy Spirit take over. I think 
what happened that morning is God saw my faith as I put my hand in the hole in his back and my right hand on his chest. And all of a sudden, you know, special gift of faith dropped on me and working of miracles dropped on me. And it was easy to get him a brand new shoulder blade. Now I'm praying for that kind of thing to happen on a more regular basis. Amen. I don't want years to go by before I see things like that. Amen. Amen. One other real quick one. This is after I left the Marine Corps. We were living in Minden, Louisiana. I was going to grad school. We were hooked into a church there in Minden, Louisiana called uh, Living Word Worship Center. The pastor there knew that I had a gift. Uh, there was a visiting pastor. His name was Pastor Perry. And uh, he talked with me about healing afterwards. And he said, would you come and teach what you know about healing to our Bible study up in uh, uh, El Dorado, Arkansas? I said, I'd be glad to. It's an hour drive. So Trish and I drove up there on a Saturday night, had a Bible study. I taught on healing, and then I had a, basically a call for anybody that needed healing, and several people came up, and, and I laid hands on them. But the one couple that I remember, they came up, and the, they were probably in their early 30s, and they came forward and said, we want to have a baby. And I said, oh, I can pray for babies. I got a good track record praying for babies. And they said, no, you don't understand. My wife had ovarian cancer. And her ovaries are basically eat up and gone. And can you still pray for us? I said, absolutely. So I had my wife put her hand on the small of her back. And I put my hand on my wife's hand. And I said, in the name of Jesus, I command this womb to be fruitful. And eggs, you got to come from somewhere. I don't know where they're going to come from, but they're going to come forth. And they're going to be fertilized. And they're going to grow and develop in this womb in Jesus' name. That's what I said. They went and sat down. I think they were a little kind of like, whoa, we weren't expecting that. And uh, drove back to uh, Minden. And to be honest, completely forgot about it. Nine months later, Pastor Perry called me on the phone. He said, do you remember that couple you prayed for Saturday night? I said, yeah. What's going on? They just gave birth to a brand new baby boy. Amen. Amen. Again, working of miracles. You know, that you can't have a baby without ovaries unless the Holy Spirit gets involved. You know, amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Well, let's just wrap it up with a prayer. Father, I just pray in the name of Jesus that even though I bludgeoned them with the word of God this morning, that it impact them in their spirit. That it find fertile ground in the soil of their heart and that they would be courageous and go forth and they would preach the gospel. They would teach the gospel in their circle of influence. And when the opportunities arise, they would lay hands on the sick and believe that they would be miraculously healed. I believe it. I receive it in Jesus name. Amen and amen. hope you enjoyed part four of Dr. Forrest's message, Healing is Yours. If you are in the Wilmington area and are looking for a place to worship, come join us on Sunday at 10 a.m. for coffee and fellowship and 1030 for worship and service. If you would like to learn more about us and hear more of Dr. Forrest's teachings, visit our website at gofaithlife.com. Also, visit and like our Facebook page at Faith Life Wilmington.